Welcome to Looks Like New on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Skyler Hugh. This is a show that asks old questions about new technology, even addressing questions that should have been asked a long time ago. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month on the radio, or you can listen online as a podcast. Looks Like New is a production of the Media Economies Design Lab at CU Boulder. Last month, we discussed how open social media platforms originated. Today's discussion builds on that and focuses on nonprofits. Here, we will explore how certain nonprofit organizations utilize open social media platforms in their strategy. So, without further ado, I'll let Nathan introduce the episode. Hello, and welcome to the second event in the series Open Social Media Nonprofits for the Win. I'm Nathan Schneider. I'm director of the Media Economies Design Lab at the University of Colorado Boulder. And this is an event in a series that we've been doing around alternative social networks and around developing strategies to, you know, to support these networks and to explore what a healthier online civic sphere could look like. The series is supported by a local funder here in Colorado, Colorado Rewild, which is exploring ways uh, of their own to support open social media networks in our community. So th- this conversation here is premised on the the dream of a public sphere in some respects, you know, the, the dream of a safe and healthy place where people um, of all walks of life can talk to each other and meet, and in particular, organize to bring about social change to heal some of the wounds of, of society, where ideas can be debated clearly and fairly, uh, and where people can associate in, uh, and exercise that right of association and assembly that is so essential to a, a thriving society. Now, many of us have experienced the failures of our existing commercial engagement driven, provocator-filled social networks, which more often than not seem to be contributing to the despair of democracy and harming, you know, well-meaning civil society actors and enabling uh, those who, you know, seek to undermine processes of of justice and fairness and equity and, and inclusion. Are these places that we can trust to house the struggles for the fate of our societies and the earth? I was thinking about this kind of acutely last night. It was the 4th of July here in the United States at our Independence Day. And I was out with my family trying to watch what is now for the first time, not a fireworks show, but a drone show in our fire prone community. And so I was thinking a lot about fire and notice on Twitter as we were trying to figure out whether it would thunderstorm that the National Weather Service Twitter account here in Boulder was saying that we are experiencing rate limiting on Twitter, and not all tweets may be available. And that was striking because during wildfires and other kinds of crises, I and others in our community have relied on that Twitter account for up-to-date information. Um, So it's just a reminder of the stakes when we are reliant on certain platforms and business models for our communities and, and our safety. The rise of open social networks, these are things like Mastodon and Blue Sky, part of a much longer story that we'll hear about today too, open the door for an opportunity for having a different kind of social media ecosystem that is 
truly more grounded in the values of a of a healthy civil society. But it's not clear that these uh, alternatives are really poised to take over, and if they do, what the consequences of that might be. Um, so the conversation that we're going to have today is with three people who are working in different kinds of nonprofit organizations, of civil society organizations, as well as thinking about the technical side of some of these um, platforms and the design of them to explore and strategize together how civil society organizations might be more active and constructive participants in this emerging open social media ecosystem. Our speakers will include Sarah Lonegard, who's a human rights advocate and organizer, founder and director of Distribute Aid, whose mission is to provide for basic human needs at scale by connecting communities and empowering people to uphold dignity. Evan Prodromu is director of Open Technology at Open Earth Foundation. He built some of the founding technologies for open social media, uh, such as Identica and then StatusNet. Um, and he recently co-founded CoSocial.ca, which is a cooperative Mastodon instance. Uh, finally, Ravon uh, Ruffin is a strategist, educator, and community designer who focuses on public engagement with the internet, archives, and art uh, to build sustainable ecosystems. She's currently head of community initiatives at New Public, an organization that has been leading the way in rethinking online social spaces. Um, to lead this discussion, I'm going to turn it over to Riley McGee. Uh, she's a, um, a student research fellow here at uh, at MedLab, at the Media Economies Design Lab. Um, and uh, uh, and uh, she'll be leading the discussion today and um, inviting, um, bringing questions to our participants, as well as drawing in uh, your comments and questions as well. Riley, can you take it away? Thank you so much for the introduction, Nathan. And so, you know, as this is kind of a more intimate group, I wanted to just kind of focus on some questions that our lovely panelists could answer about their organizations. Of course, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about the kinds of work that you all are doing now, um, if you all would want to take it away. Sure. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, so I'm Sara. I'm from Sweden originally, where I was born and raised. Um, but I've lived abroad for the last 10 years almost. Uh, so it's been a while since I was back. I'm the founder of Distribute Aid, who Nathan introduced you to earlier. But um, to give you a little bit more context, um, I set up the organization about five years ago. And we basically do humanitarian aid logistics. So we're very focused on moving goods from one country to another or from companies, in-kind donors who might have an overstock of goods that they would like to place with people in need. And in particular, we focus on grassroots local organizations in those efforts. So we currently support about 200 organizations who are all fairly small nonprofits who are born out of the context and community that they work in. And I wanted to start the organization because I really believe in local solutions. I think that grassroots organizers can be very nimble, agile, fast to respond and work very effectively um, in comparison with some of the larger organizations who absolutely have a place as well in the whole ecosystem. But grassroots organizers are just very efficient when it comes to time and money. 
And I noticed it was very hard for them to communicate and organize at a larger scale and really take the time to uh, talk to each other and engage and like plan things out maybe months or years ahead because they're responding so immediately to a crisis. And that's really where Distribute Aid comes in. We're also able to work with very large donors, uh, as I said, in-kind donors or companies who might have something at a scale of 100,000 hygiene kits or a million t-shirts that they would like to donate to a local context. But it's very hard for them to, of course, go out and reach 200 organizations and try to sort out who wants what, who needs this. So that is the service that Distribute provides. And then doing all the logistics in between of the paperwork and, you know, border documentation, that kind of thing. I'll leave it there. But if anyone has any questions, I'm very happy to talk more about it. I should note, I do not have a technical background. My background is in international development and humanitarian emergencies, which is what I've studied before. Um, but we do a lot of tech work within my organization. Um, so I'm, of course, very familiar uh, with it through my team and just by having to strategize um, and social media, of course, we're on it to reach out about what we're doing. So I'm very much looking forward to talking to everyone today about the, the strategies we can use to be even more effective with it. Uh, I'll, I'll go, go next. My name is Evan Pedromo, and I am technical. <laughs> I have a background in uh, software development and specifically open source software, open standards, open data. As mentioned before, I've been one of the people who has worked very hard on distributed social networks. And for good or ill, I'm quite excited about how things are developing right now. I realize it's really hard for a lot of people to be trying to find new homes for their nonprofits, new ways to connect with their members or supporters or funders or team. But I also think that we're moving into a, a time where there's a lot more control put in the hands of organizations. I think that I have two hats that I wear that, that bring me here. My first is that I am the co-founder of a nonprofit co-op that provides uh, hosting services for Mastodon. So we have uh, a cooperative based in Canada where we provide this hostings and, and use that cooperative model to support the use of Mastodon and give people a home on Mastodon that they are participants in instead of customers for. And my second hat here is that I work as the director of technology for a a climate change organization called the Open Earth Foundation. We create open source software to fight climate change. And part of my uh, role there is keeping us connected to the open source and open standards world. So I've been working with my team there to move us into the distributed social networks. Not always easy. Our social media team is very used to LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, et cetera, but we're taking baby steps into that world now. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Raven Ruffin, pronoun she, they. I am head of community initiatives at New Public. I come from the art and museum world, and so equally not coming from tech, but I think the role that I play within the work that we do is to create relationships and opportunities for us to do co-design with community leaders of online and offline spaces. And so uh, New Public is focused on 
really creating interventions for how we create healthy digital public spaces. Um, our philosophy uh, really stems from the idea that we have libraries and parks and community gardens that cultivate healthy relationships in our IRL experiences and day-to-day -day lives. And so how can we translate that into our digital sphere as those spaces are now wholly entangled and enmeshed within each other. And so uh, needing uh, healthy tools and, and practices that can exist online for us to support a, a healthy society and democracy. And so um, our, our team of designers and researchers and engineers are really focused on creating uh, design patterns that can equip product builders and platform builders with the tools that they need to do that while working with community stewards, as we call them. And so uh, my work is focused on uh, creating programming and, and, and infrastructure around what does it look like for us to be in relationship and in co-design uh, with community stewards who are using these platforms and oftentimes in spaces that they don't want to be. And so how can we support them in building those relationships with community platform builders, as well as getting them the tools they need to foster healthy uh, digital spaces. And I'll also add that if I am not as uh, sprite as I normally would be, it's because I was up for quite some time dealing with an animal who has extreme anxiety around fireworks. Uh, so I'm a little tired, but excited to have this conversation and be in relationship with you all. Thank you all for sharing some about your organizations. Some words that were kind of being used throughout all of uh, your lovely introductions were grassroots, open, cooperative relationships, co-design, which all of these are wonderful values that, of course, we are hoping are instilled into these open social media spaces. But kind of focusing on Blue Sky, Mastodon, these sorts of newer spaces that are developing right now. I'm curious what sort of things your organizations are looking for in these platforms, um, whether that be values or tools to help your organizations grow and develop through these spaces. I'll go first and I'll talk about Open Earth Foundation. As a nonprofit, we have certain types of audiences that we need to reach, right? One is volunteers. We create open source software and the better we're able to engage with open source software developers and get them to participate in our projects, the more likely we are to have great software that succeeds for our users. So having a connection in these kind of distributed social networking spaces, which are very popular with technologists and especially open source technologists is a real natural fit for us, right? So engaging with volunteers is one that's really important. The other is engaging with potential donors, right? So making sure that people know what our, what our work is, if it's small donors, giving them access to find out about what we're doing. A big part of social publishing for us is putting a human face on the work that we do. So it's not just about providing support for ocean biodiversity or lowering emissions for cities in Latin America. It's about the work that Maureen is doing and the work that Luke is doing and the work that Cephas is doing, right? So we bring, we really want to bring people forward in order to make connections in a way that's not as easy on other platforms. I guess I'll riff off of that a little bit and say that for us, when it comes to social media in general and our strategy right now, 
mainly we're using it um, because we want other organizations who could benefit from our services to be able to find us. Um, so a very, very simple reason to be on there. Um, and just, of course, to show that we're an active organization and to some extent have accountability to our donors to be able to show them that everything has arrived where we said it would. And um, yeah, just show that we're active. So for us, I think we're very excited about the prospect of using open social media networks to reach a much more targeted audience and not flood like just one social media stream with lots of different types of messages um, that will be irrelevant to most people, which will make them tune out. Um, I think to an extent we do that now and we moderate ourselves through which platform we choose to post different things on. Uh, but I think open social media networks have a much, much larger uh, potential for being very targeted in your outreach. Um, engaging with volunteers is another big one uh, for us. But yeah, I was just from the intro uh, that you gave Nathan, starting to think about the like the censorship aspect that we currently impose on social media. I think we look at it a lot um, as the platforms or the companies censoring the organizations, but it sparked for me the self-censorship that we carry out as well, both in terms of not exhausting the people who will see our posts, but also keeping things fairly neutral a lot of the time because we do know that potential donors will look at those pages and if you can be more targeted and reach like the activists you want to reach and the more maybe radical people with posts that they will interact with and um, you'll be able to relate to and at the same time post more general updates to your donors that I think could be a huge use case for, for open social media networks. Yeah, I'd probably come at this from a slightly different angle. I mean, our, our organization as a tech nonprofit is, you know, grappling with our own positions on these platforms um, of how do we use them? How do we stay where people are while also trying to support them and in moving um, into other spaces? And so, um, you know, we use Twitter. We do have LinkedIn. Um, we do have an Instagram. Um, but I think as we are in this process of understanding, um, you know, our current social media movement and how we want to support uh, builders who are interested in building something very different from what we have. Uh, we're very excited about the proliferation of these more smaller, intimate, open social spaces um, that are community focused, thinking about community control. Um, but uh, part of our intervention, part of our interest in this space is that uh, these spaces are largely uh, inaccessible or unapproachable for a lot of folks. And so I think that's a conversation that serves all of us here, right? Um, but as we, we learn how to exist in the Fediverse or in other uh, spaces that aren't uh, these large social media platforms, um, a lot of the, the, the barrier to entry is around you know, the user interface uh, not being um, approachable for a lot of folks. And so that is part of our interest is how do we support people um, in, in being able to access and recognizing that on a, a, a wide spectrum, right? That there are folks who want to be able to play with the UI and play with the code and all of that great stuff. Um, and then there are other folks that just want to log in and be able to, to understand 
um, how do I get from platform to platform um, or network to network even? And so um, that is where we're very curious and excited to support um, folks of all likes of life. Uh, but thinking again, like on the spectrum of uh, folks who are very technical uh, to those who are not. And so if we talk about, you know, what it looks like to exist um, in these open social platforms, like who actually has access to be in those spaces. And I think even as um, organizations, how we think about um, our ability to even access these spaces. Thank I, you. Oh, sorry. Oh, Go ahead. Riley, I'm so sorry. I just wanted to riff off, <laughs> off that, that for a moment. And, uh, yeah, I think one of the things about uh, distributed social networks like the Fediverse, like Blue Sky right now, is um, relatively small audiences. I think Fediverse just turned over somewhere around 13 million people. Um, and that's not a full count, but it's like a rough count. So you're probably thinking somewhere around 15 million people that you can reach. Um, and so like the question is, growing fast, that's great. But um, when is it worth the time effort for a nonprofit to uh, start engaging with that audience, right? Um, and it's something of a uh, of a bet, right? You have to catch the wave at just the right time. And if you do it at the right time, there's a real opportunity to have outsized impact in that network, right? Um, at the same time, investing a lot of um, effort, time, money into a network that is growing really slow, that's not really giving a lot of feedback can can be really can be really tough. So I think it's a uh, there is definitely a, a question of playing your cards correctly to use that uh, that that kind of system and knowing which audiences are there to support. You're listening to Looks Like New, a show that asks old questions about new tech. Stick with us, we'll be back soon. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio. We've been speaking with Sarah Lonegard, Evan Prodromo, and Raven Ruffin on how nonprofits utilize open social media platforms. I actually was hoping to build off of that question of who has access. As somebody who uses an e-reader, Blue Sky is not a necessarily easy platform to navigate just because it is a platform that hasn't really had a great e-reader integration. It's a platform where people really troll a lot with alt text, um, something that I've been finding out more and more recently. Um, and so this question of access to these different spaces, especially ones that like Blue Sky that are still limited with invites, I'm curious how kind of like building into a different question I have, like maybe like these sorts of limitations or challenges, what sort of conflicts are we seeing arise from these spaces that hopefully will be resolved? I mean, I guess I'll just chime in to very much agree with you. 
it's one of the things I've noted down as um, a huge hurdle, especially in our field and humanitarian aid tends to be very tech illiterate. I do, I was trying to like think through the organizations that we work with, if I would expect to see any of them on these types of, in these types of spaces. And I do not think so. I would be very surprised. Um, even filling out a simple Google form tends to <laughs> result in phone calls to us to help guide them through how to do that. Um, so that's definitely a big factor to consider um, of how, uh, as you were saying before, how do we include people in the conversation? Um, and also at the moment with so many different um, different areas to look at and different platforms, if you want to call it that, um, I think that's going to be very hard for NGOs to, to navigate where to turn to. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I have any solutions, but I'll further raise the problem. Yeah, I, I, uh, I have to say that like for us at OEF, it's a, uh, it's a very natural audience for us. We are reaching out to open source software developers, designers, content creators, et cetera. It's a world that's, that's really set. And, and uh, a lot of our partner organizations like the Linux Foundation um, are already there. They're engaged. People are um, there you know, staff is on, uh, on the system. So it's a really a very natural environment for us. And that can be tough for, for other folks. Um, one thing that is, um, somewhat like legendary on say the Fediverse, uh, for example, is the level of engagement one gets in, in this in environment. Partly because with 15 million users, uh, there are only so many content creators. So your ability to you know create a great, great post and get engagement is really somewhat higher. You're not you're lost in the no in the noise in some of the bigger networks, and and this is a chance to be kind of more prominent in in the Fediverse or on Blue Sky, um, which can be great, um, but it's. Uh, it is also kind of comes with having like those natural audiences and and sometimes part of it is just bringing along an audience with you and giving them a chance to to join in yeah i mean this question of access is always going to be one that i have i think from uh my my from my position and within the public uh like i said earlier working with community stewards of online and offline spaces, I, I think about them first. And so um, we have, you know, Facebook group moderators and leaders um, or uh, folks who are um, using, you know, these platforms that, like I said earlier as well, that they don't want to be on, that don't align with their, their practices and values. And so how do we bring these folks into these spaces when there is such a high degree of technicality um, that, you know, it's just easier to create a Facebook group real quick. Everybody's already there. Um, like I said, the, the interface allows uh, for a lot more ease. And so thinking about, you know, where do we create strategies for onboarding? Um, you know, I think we've seen some updates with that with like uh, Discord, um, uh, allowing a little bit more uh, customization around, you know, how you bring people into the conversation, uh, what are the kind of ways that you get people um, familiarized with norms in a space. I think a lot of conversation that 
uh, I've been seeing with like the Fediverse or Mastodon in particular, it's like, you know, being a new member in these kinds of spaces is, is really hard. And so like, how do we create ways for folks to come into a space, um, uh, have some kind of sense of, of grounding into the norms of how people are associating with the space so that members who are already in those spaces don't have to start from scratch, right? Uh, of, of reiterating or renorming um, around language and things like that in their, in their community spaces. And so I think there are a lot of gaps that need to be filled in terms of accessibility of, um, and maybe some of those things can be automated. Um, and so again, my our team is really looking into what those design patterns can be. But I think there's also just a question of practices, right? Of like, how as humans do we relate to each other and support each other in these spaces? Um, if these are the spaces that we're saying we want to be in as we move away um, from these, you know, tech conglomerates. I wanted to ask a little bit more about this kind of collaboration in these spaces. Um, of course, community is really important for uh, non-for-profits. In my own organ in organizing history, um, we've been, uh, and, and in my own work, um, connecting with people across large spaces of physical land to bring them all into this uh, localized space in the digital world can sometimes be challenging. And so I wanted to ask, um, what sort of positive and or uh, struggles have there been in collaborating with partners um, on these open social media platforms? I know we've talked touched on it a little bit, but I was hoping to really dig in a little bit deeper to this um, idea. Riley, I think you're asking like how, how uh, to make the connections, keep the connections, have conversations going, and then to to use these uh, these networks as a tool for collaboration. Um, and when I hear collaboration, I think what you mean, and tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth, not just that broadcast style of like, this is what we're doing, here's an update from our organization, but one in which there's engagement and back and forth. Is that kind of how you're, how you're uh, stating this? Yes. Okay. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it is. Um, it is hard right now to use Fediverse technologies for collaboration. Um, when I think of like um, collaborative technologies for conversation, I think about making things together or having the kind of conversations that you built, you do design ideas, design projects, work through, work through issues. And those tend to happen really well in a conversational style. So like with direct messages or group messages um, and uh, Fediverse tools right now aren't great at that. And uh, without that um, kind of uh, critical mass, it can be hard to make that, make that work. Where I think it does work is that more public conversation. So less about one-on-one -on -one collaboration, more about kind of open collaboration. So reaching out to a larger um a larger audience, um, asking questions, seeking 
uh, knowledge, seeking feedback, it can be really great for that, right? So there are a lot of people in, uh, there. Uh, you get through to that those audiences in a way that's harder to do um, on, say, Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn. And there is a lot more sense of um, camaraderie on, on, on the Fediverse and sense that people should and can uh, participate in the conversation. So in that way, um, I've seen more open-ended questions, not we are the experts and we're going to like, you know, tell you what's going on and here's our update and this is what's happening. More, we need X, we're looking for Y, how does Z work? And um, it seems to be a really good network for that kind of conversation. Um, it is not yet a network for like, you know, 9 a.m. coffee time, let's get to work. But um, it does seem to be pretty good for um, uh, having kind of open conversations that are participative. Yeah, I'm going to give a very non-technical answer. <laughs> Uh, I, I wanted to allude to something Evan said earlier around, um, uh, I think just in your social presence, uh, making it about people, um, a kind of people first strategy. And I think, um, you know, that is something that we're carrying with us as we think about how to exist um, in, in, in the, the Fediverse um, or in other open social platforms and spaces. Um, and so, Collaborating with other humans that are have been doing this work, and so learning from some of the the OGs in these spaces. Um, some of our team was at the Web Camp, which, if you're not familiar, uh, is a decentralized web um, convening of folks uh, run by the Internet Archive, and uh, we ran a session with uh, Randy Farmer from Sprightly. And so I think you know there's something to be said about building a kind of like common language part of our our interest there was um you know recognizing that Randy Farmer has been in this work uh for decades and ourselves as a young organization uh finding commonality with him that you know there's a lot of interest in you know after years of watching the pendulum swing <laughs> back towards uh these spaces um that there still hasn't really been a kind of grounding or understanding of like, what does healthy mean? What does community mean? How do we uh, account for that now so that we don't go back, um, you know, to don't regress um, to back to these uh, larger tech organizations um, or networks. Um, and so I think there's something to be said there, I think uh, around um, as organizations building these spaces. And I, I think to what you even put in the chat, Nathan, of how do we build more cooperatives? Um, I think that's deeply fa fascinating. I've been thinking about uh, the way that New Public builds a kind of, um, or creates a field building strategy is really a kind of grassroots effort of networks. And so uh, we're thinking about ourselves alongside folks like the Pro-Social Design Network who has a library of pro-social um, design patterns. And so like, how do we not double this work, um, but actually, uh, you know, deepen our impact. And so I think there's something to be said there around, um, you know, as we are building the digital social spaces that we want to see that, you know, we don't have to create a, a kind of rubric, you know, for ourselves. But I think there is something to be said about having a shared language, a shared um, 
uh, what would I say, community of practice, if you will, of, of how we want to exist in these spaces that we can loosely define, um, you know, what good and healthy look like in these spaces so that they are accessible, so that they are just and, and so forth. So kind of building off of this conversation, I wanted to also ask um, how these tools could be improved to better serve um, our groups of interest. Um, obviously, we've got folks from one end of not being able to, who are like tech illiterate, who can't really engage with these platforms and all the way onto the other end where we have technologists who are really comfortable. So how do we create and uh, modify these platforms in order to capture uh, everybody. And of course, if you don't have a technical background, it, it, you don't necessarily like need to speak on the specific details. Um, I don't think that's where this conversation is going, but just want to emphasize that. Yeah, uh, I, I'll, I'll jump in with my uh, two cents on this, which is that um, I think for, I, 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 we are recapitulating a history of social networks on distributed social networks, which is that social networks were originally built for people and it's one person per account and your account has your face as your avatar. Um, and as organizations started trying to find their place in these networks on Twitter, et cetera, uh, they replace that face with a, with a logo instead. Right. And so it's not, Evan Perdomo, it's, you know, Shell Oil or Open Earth Foundation. Um, and consequently, like on the bigger networks like Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, somewhat face, actually Facebook's got really good tools. They've developed um, a tool set around having that representation of an organization, right? So you can have, say, team management of a brand uh, account on Twitter, or Facebook has a whole pages mechanism that is separate from having a personal account. Um, LinkedIn has organizational accounts, etc. It's not something that's well supported on uh, distributed social networks like Mastodon and Blue Sky right now. You have to actually do some work. Uh, I mean, right now, the I think the state of the art is like a shared password for a um, for an organizational account, right? And that's how you work through it is you, you maintain that organizational account with a shared password and, and shared tools. Um, I think that it's likely that we'll see some better tool set there, both on the client side. So having clients that can be shared across uh, multiple people who are representing that brand account and on server side, having different kinds of um, structures like something like Facebook pages or organizational accounts with an idea of membership. Um, but uh, for, so for now, I think that for someone who's setting up an organizational account, the um, best opportunity is like setting up a server. So we've got our social server for Open Earth Foundation. It's so, social.openearth.org. And people at our team have accounts on socialedopenearth.org, and that's kind of where they are uh, representing uh, representing themselves on the on the network. Um, but the tools around having, say, a brand account um, are much more primitive 
on uh, on Mastodon, and I believe on Blue Sky too. I'll give um, two maybe very obvious answers here, but um, I really agree with the comment that someone left here to say that we've been fairly spoiled with very good user interfaces of the the, the current social media platforms. People are used to that and it being easy to navigate. So I think, yeah, working on making these spaces more user-friendly and easy to navigate would be a great, uh, great first step. And then secondly, just more education around how to use them. I think one of the fears a lot of people have, or at least that I have for the organizations that might find their way onto these platforms is that they wouldn't really understand when something is being posted publicly and will be there for forever and when they are having a private conversation I think that's a trap that a lot of people could fall into and which would scare them off of these networks um yeah I mean I'm thinking about like the very early days of Facebook for example and I'm sure you all have had that realization 10 years later of the stuff that is on your wall when you thought you were just sending a photo to a friend but now it is publicly on there for everyone forever um yeah, so so to work on that and the education around how how you can engage, and I guess thirdly, what we were talking about of making it even better to have um, like communities. I think already exist very much on there, but um, to have community conversations and facilitate them. I think at the moment for us, we're getting a lot of engagement uh, more so than on other platforms because people are very excited to be on there. The users who are active are very active. Um, but a lot of it ends up being transferred off of the um, decentralized networks and onto email or phone calls. And we end up jumping off of uh, those spaces. So to facilitate an even better um, experience where you can stay on the platforms. Yeah, this question is definitely the stuff of our work at New Public. Um, so stay tuned, subscribe to our newsletter. Um, we're currently researching opportunity areas in these spaces. Um, uh, as of the end of last month, um, we brought in a, a group of community stewards, what we're calling the community stewards guild to be able to uh, learn from them and have them with us for uh, the next 10 months uh, to understand what their needs are from a user perspective um, of, and, and folks in particular who are uh, knowledgeable around building community. I mean, I think we've definitely identified needs around onboarding, you know, to, to what has been said of, you know, how do you enter into a space um, like Mastodon, um, you know, what are uh, some of those uh, tools that can support uh, folks uh, coming onto these platforms, engaging um, and having a little bit easier of a lift. Um, uh, the way we think about it is that, you know, we uh, we have a lot of patterns that have shown us well of, you know, the like button, um, follow, et cetera. And so like, how do we build in these kind of features uh, specifically for community control? So that is what we're currently researching of like, what are some of those pain points that our community stewards are feeling around um, being in social spaces currently and how can we incorporate that in design patterns that would support them being in more decentralized spaces. 
You are listening to Looks Like New, a show that asks old questions about new tech. Stick with us, we'll be back soon. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio. We've been speaking with Sarah Lonegard, Evan Prodromo, and Raven Ruffin on how nonprofits utilize open social media platforms. I noticed that there was a question in the chat, and so I wanted to invite uh, Phaedra if you would like to share your question yourself. I was just wondering if you have a different sense of success with distributed networks. If you have a co- like one concrete example, if you could like brag about your organization for a moment and be like, you were kind of getting maybe with the community stewards, but you know, something that you're like, this is, this is kind of great. And this is what gets me excited. This is why I'm like, not like, oh, this is the 10th platform I've relearned and retaught my membership. And, you know, we all want justice and democracy, but how is this going to be any different? Like, do you have one example that you'd be like, this, this is, this is what brings me joy. And when this happens once a year, I'm like, this is, this was an exciting moment. I don't know. Everyone doesn't have to answer it, but if you had something like that, it would be great. Yeah, I can, I can just talk to mine, although it might not be as, uh, as great a, uh, the kind of engagement that other uh, teams are looking for, but you know, as a technical organization, we're always looking for engagement with technical volunteers. Um, and uh, our outreach, talking to like, um, uh, talking on the on the Fediverse about problems that we're having, things that we're looking into, questions that we have, um, and having that turn around, not just to engagement on platform, but actually contributions as volunteers to our uh, our projects is a huge, you know, benefit for us, right? So any, now it is small scale. I'm not talking about like, you know, reaching 200,000 users and having 10,000 10, of them come back and make uh, make volunteer contributions. But like for us, it's tens of people, right? And at that scale, it's really it's really great to see that happening, right? People who are coming to coming to participate. Um, I think right now for us, it's mostly like about uh, um, return on investment, right? So we aren't, we're not spending, you know, $10,000 or $25,000 a month on social media consultants, like posting nonstop for us. Um, We're, managing it either as our team locally or, you know, our comms team is doing it. So it's, it's a very low amount of effort that's involved. Um, but that does mean that we are see anything that we see in terms of, um, uh, in terms of participation from volunteers or other engagement, it feels like a success for us. And, and we hope to see that grow. As we are coming towards the end of our conversation, I have a question that I wanted to ask. Um, 
And I know that these questions can be hard to ask. And so if there are multiple things you do want to say, you're welcome to. But if you were to give um, at least one piece of advice to other nonprofits considering using open social media platforms for outreach and community building, what would you tell them? The, uh, the question is one thing to tell an organization that they're that they should do as they start thinking about the Fediverse. Yeah, at uh, least one. At least one. Um, I think the the two things I would say. I'm going to take two. The first one is like uh, start doing experimentation now, right? Like be ready. Don't be the tense nonprofit in your space to join the Fediverse. Be the first. Right, like be the be the leader. Get the benefit from that uh, of being the first in the in the area. And then the second is that like throw away your like social media management rule book. Right, like all the all the ideas that we have about like when you're supposed to post and how you're supposed to post and how you're supposed to format your tweets and all that stuff. It's like a great opportunity to take a more authentic and customized approach to the way that you talk to your community, talk to members, talk to, um, talk to potential donors, talk to like partners. Like it, you don't have to like stay in that weird social media management space that is so formulaic and, uh, and disingenuous, like it's an opportunity to become, uh, to shape uh, the organization's presence uh, in the way that you want to have it, right? Like, so don't look for a rule book, start, start making it what you want it to be. I think that ties in really well to what I would say, which is that I view this really as an opportunity, or if I were to explain it to someone, as like a way that you can sort of recreate your real life and the community that you build and choose to to be in yourself like the people you surround yourself with who you call who you text um the like the types of people the pockets of people you want to interact with so maybe first start thinking about who is it i want to reach out to and how do i want to engage with them and then really to kind of say this is an opportunity um in like that you can actually do that in an online space, uh, which I think is really cool and has so many good potentials uh, if it's done well. Yeah, I was going to emphasize more of the same um, as a formal social media manager years back. Um, yeah, allowing yourself to be nimble, uh, which is not an easy thing for nonprofits to do um, for a number of reasons. Um, and so I think, you know, as organizations that are already strapped for time and resources and often the person running your social uh, doesn't even have the time to do what their actual job is <laughs> if they are not a dedicated social person. Um, and so, yeah, allowing, I mean, I think what I learned from, from decades ago um, was that everyone needed to be involved. And so I don't think it's the job of one person within your organization, but that everyone um, should be uh learning together around what your organizational pra uh, presence is going to be in these spaces. I think too, what Sarah mentioned of, you know, defining who your community even is. So does it make sense for you to be in those spaces? 
um, and, and where it does um, being very clear on your intention and being in those spaces. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm just more plugged for more Fediverse parties as an organization, as a community, whatever that looks like. Awesome. Well, I would just, if anybody else has any uh, last questions or remarks, um, somebody in the chat, I uh, forgive me, I, I, it's covered at the moment, but um, they were asking for uh, people's Mastodon and Blue Sky accounts. So if uh, folks would want to share there, um, I think that would be a cool space for people to connect. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to offer if anybody else has any last questions. Uh, I have a last question. Well, it's kind of an unfair question. It might be too open-ended, but, um, you know, MedLab has, uh, has a presence uh, on, on the Fediverse. Uh, and I kind of want to like flip it around uh, to, to Riley and Nathan, like how has it worked uh, for MedLab? I realize not a nonprofit, uh, but uh, you know, how has, how has it worked for engagement? How is it, uh, uh, what strategies are you using? I, I could say a little bit, um, just uh, the experiment with running our own server um, has been taxing our broader server. And so um, it's really, it, it has been a resource question. Um, that's when been kind of in the forefront of my mind is do we want to manage the resources and worry about uptime and things like that? Or do we want to farm that out to somebody else? Um, so that's that's been a big question. Um, another thing that is is less visible that that we do um, is uh, use it in in the classroom. So I uh, teach a 250 person intro to social media class, and uh, we have uh, we run the class on a Mastodon server. So students each week are engaging with each other there, and it it actually works really nicely. Um, as a as a teaching tool because it enables us to um, have our own space and be able to set rules and explore what the platform does and doesn't allow us to to change um, and um, give students that opportunity to think about social media not just as something that somebody else runs for them but as something that they have some some say in um, so that less visible side of it is actually the more you know the more active presence that we have in in the Pediverse, even though we don't federate with anybody else on the, the class server. I unfortunately don't have a lot to add uh, for MedLab in particular, but as somebody who um, is starting sort of a grassroots organization um, that's trying to connect uh, trans individuals across the Rocky Mountain region, we've been having a lot of interesting both success and issues with um trying to figure out like which platforms we should be using right now we're just on discord just because originally we were trying to use mastodon it was an issue of resources uh primarily and then secondarily it was an issue with some of the larger uh trust and safety questions on mastodon and so we want to find a space that uh works for everybody that we're trying to connect with um because that's what's important to us and so yeah well, if nobody else has any we have, final we have one more from Clayton, actually, in the oh. chat. Yeah, maybe it's easier to just ask it again. So, like, um, hashtags on Twitter became really terrible for me. I think um, 
a while ago, um, just kind of based on like bad actors hijacking them and it just being a flood of very loosely related things to a hashtag where um, I think on Mastodon and like the Fediverse in general, it's been a lot better. And I'm curious if there are any nonprofits who have a presence on there or just others who have been using them and how that's been landing. And again, if this was already covered, I'm sorry. And you can ignore my question if so. I'll jump in there. What I've seen with hashtags is that they have much longer duration, much more focused on a particular topic or a general uh, concept. Uh, so much less about that spike of attention and then drop of attention that you see in Twitter, right? Where it's like this hashtag is going to be trending for the next four hours. So every possible uh, influencer and attention dun- junkie and troll is going to try and get something into that mix. Uh, whereas on uh, Mastodon, it is a conversation that happens like over weeks and months, right? So like, uh, and it's got a huge amount of value. So like, we kind of stay in touch with like climate change and uh, it, hashtag climate change you know, as something where it is a locus of conversation by people who actually know what they're talking about and are interested in in having that conversation. So um, that may be a, a a matter of tools. It may be a matter of like the way people are using Mastodon right now, but it is a very different like uh, experience than that like spike of like this hashtag is going to be used for the next few hours and then it's so overcrowded that it becomes useless and it drops off forever. Thank you all so much for being here. I really appreciated hearing all of your thoughts today. Thank you, Riley, Nathan, and Colorado Rewild for supporting this episode. We are also hosting a one-day conference on August 8th at CU called Local Tech Ecologies. There, we will discuss many more topics like these in the context of local technology. If you are interested, you can find out more on our website, colorado.edu slash lab slash medlab. You've been listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. We've been speaking with Sarah Lonegard, Evan Podromo, and Raven Ruffin on how nonprofits utilize open social media platforms. This show is produced in-house by myself, Skyler Hugh. I hope you'll join us for another conversation next month.